Luke chapter 1. We're going to start right around verse uh, 39 it is. Now, some of you may have noticed uh, uh, the discreetly placed Santa Clauses on the stage up here. And uh, please note my sarcasm. They're kind of meant to stand out a little bit. Um, full transparency in church, anyone, as we're putting up the Santa Clauses, like, man, the church has lost its mind. Um, I think this might be my last Sunday here at Harvest Bible Chapel, what's going on with the Santa Clauses, right? Anyone thinking that? No, that's good. <laughs> well, I'm going to grab one of the Santas. I'll take the one that has fallen and bring them over here. Jolly old St. Nicholas. And this time of year, um, we look at Santa, and he's kind of a symbol um, in our culture today, symbol of joy. That's why we call him Jolly Olin St. Nicholas. And how can he not be uh, so joyful with his, you know, he's so pudgy and the rosy cheeks and his laughter, um, his ho-ho-ho is just so great, that irresistible beard that he has, right? It's just easy to have a lot of joy when you see Santa Claus and, and then to even think, you know, the word Jolly Olin St. Nicholas, the word Jolly, synonyms for Jolly is also joyful and joyous. And I think our culture has implemented this, the spirit of Santa Claus into this time of year. Uh, we do things that are similar to this spirit, and it doesn't matter. You know, some of you are like, we're pro-Santa, and then some of us are like, oh, we're kind of anti-Santa. But whatever the case is, uh, we all have this tendency, at least I do at times, right, to like, man, if there's certain things I can do this year, it will foster joy in my life and joy in the lives of those around me whether that's giving gifts or giving, getting gifts or whether that's uh, trying to create this um, memorable moments in our family, which are all good things, but like I'm trying to do something to attain a joy. And often what happens is um, either during this season um, or even right afterwards, I don't feel like this jolly old St. Nicholas. I feel quite the opposite. I feel pretty... Um, deflated almost by the end of it. And I was like, oh man, what, what just happened there? Like I thought this was going to bring me a lot more satisfaction than I thought it would this time of year. The honest answer is uh, joy is not something that we can really do, all right? Something that we are and it's because of the work of Jesus Christ in us. And just think about, you know, I asked Google, you know, since we're talking on spreading joy, uh, this year, I, I typed into Google, what is the best way to spend, like, spread joy during Christmas? And there's tons of, like, on the search, tons of lists came up, and I just grabbed the first one just for example. And there's 20 ways to spread Christmas joy, and these are all things that you can do to spread Christmas joy. And I would say um, all these things, I would say, are good things, all right? So, and my wife and I have done many of these things. For example, it's maybe donate toys or... Um, Go Christmas caroling or make cookies for senior citizens or smile and greet people by saying Merry Christmas. Or maybe it's putting a gift in your mailbox for the mail carrier. Can I get an amen, Chris Myers, wherever you're at? I don't know. All right. Or maybe it's wrap presents and give them to elderly neighbors. Donate to a local pet shelter, right? Send letters to missionaries to encourage them. Support um, international children. All these things are really Good things that we can do, but are they actually ways that we can obtain joy and give joy? I really believe that our uh, joy is not something that we do. I think it's something that the work of the Spirit does in our hearts and lives. All right? Think about uh, 
the focus is on this morning's message is going to be talking about an inner joy that you can have. And that inner joy then is contagious to spreading joy to other people. And I think of like Galatians chapter 5 where it talks about what the fruit of the Spirit is. It says if you're walking by the Spirit, then you'll have these fruits in your life, right? And the very first one, listen, there is joy. So a byproduct of my walk with Jesus Christ, when I'm walking in the Spirit, and there's times where I can not be walking in the Spirit, according to that passage as well, where I'm walking in the flesh, but if I'm choosing to walk in the Spirit and the Spirit fills my heart and life, then a byproduct of that would be joy, right? Joy internally then comes out externally. So it's not something that I can do. It's contingent upon my relationship with Jesus Christ in my life. And when I think about, like, man, if I don't have joy in my life, that is actually saying something about my walk with God. If there's joy absent, or with any of the fruits of the Spirit, if there's peace or kindness or self-control lacking in my life during that time, it says something about where my heart is in tune with the Spirit. So the Spirit is the one that brings joy in our life, that fills us as we walk in the Spirit and obey and follow Him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just want to use this time to look into your word. Lord, I just pray that you give me the words to say. Lord, I don't have a message. You have a message uh, from your word this morning that you want to be heard. And uh, help me not to get in the way of that, Lord. And help us all just to have ears to hear um, your word this morning and the heart to respond um, the way that you have called us to, Lord. So we just pray that you would uh, meet with us now, Lord. Show us how we can have this internal joy in our hearts and lives that is contagious, that will spread to other people. We just pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. So the question is, how can I spread joy? Our first uh, point comes, uh, how we can spread joy. Look with me in Luke chapter 1, verse 39. We'll start there. It says, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to the town of Judea. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. So she's uh, setting out and um, says that she went to the hill country. So these were the hills just outside Jerusalem. And there's probably little towns, little uh, houses all kind of gathered throughout the hillsides there of Jerusalem. And that's where she's heading. And remember that Mary is going and setting out to do this to visit Elizabeth. We learned earlier in chapter 1 that Elizabeth and Mary are relatives, right? And we just uh, found out that they both have conceived a child in a miraculous way, and we're talked to angels by that, right? So Mary conceived through the Holy Spirit, right, of being a virgin, and now is going to be carrying the Messiah, and eventually will be delivering uh, baby Jesus, right? Um, likewise, um, Elizabeth has also have her own miracle as far as conceiving John, uh, her and her husband Zachariah. It says they were old in age, beyond childbearing uh, years, and uh, the Holy Spirit came, or the angel came and said, you are also going to conceive, and you're going to have a son, and his name's going to be called John, he's going to be a forerunner to Jesus Christ. So these are uh, two ladies that are just, uh, man, have been touched, have been spoke to by God, and it's just really cool to see. And then she's coming, Mary's coming to visit, visit Elizabeth and Zechariah now. Verse 41, it says, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, that is John, leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Joy, once again, going to the back of Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, right? Where the, fruit, where the Spirit shows up, you're going to see joy in people's hearts, even at this point. Verse 42, and, and she explained with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this that you granted to me that the mother of my Lord shall come to me? 
For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my room leaped for joy. There you see our word, right? We're talking about spreading joy this morning. The word joy is right there in the text. Elizabeth was, uh, was acknowledging that uh, Mary was blessed to be the one chosen to be delivered, the becoming Messiah. We see that the very presence, though, of Jesus being still in the womb of Mary brought about joy. And it went from one womb to the other as uh, baby, the womb inside of uh, Elizabeth, John, leap, is said, for joy, just at the very presence of Jesus being in the other womb. Think of that that way, like Jesus is the one that brings us joy. So crazy, even in this situation, in a womb, he brought, the very pre- his presence brought joy. Jesus is really, he is the game changer. He's kind of like the seeker up and he's the cure to all things and he brings joy by his very presence. And just thinking about, you know, joy, or, you know, Jesus as he went about doing his ministry and the, think about the I am statements that he made throughout his ministry. He says, I am the bread of life, right? No one can be satisfied apart from me. He says, I am the light of, of the world, meaning like, hey, this world around us is pretty dark and he is the one and only light. He says, I am the door. He is the way to the kingdom of God, right? I am the true vine, Right? Anyone who abides in him can have, sustain their life in him. I am the good shepherd. This speaks to how much he cares for us. I am the resurrection life. You know, we were dead in our sins, but because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can have life in him. It says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's everything to us. So even at this um, age where he's just still in the womb, Jesus is, uh, because of all those things, no wonder why John in the other womb leaped with joy at the very presence of the Lord Jesus. Let's continue reading, and then it says in verse 45, it says, And blessed is she who believed, this is Mary, she's blessed because she believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her. This suggests that Mary's visit was not based on skepticism. She's not coming to Elizabeth saying, hey, uh, angel appeared and said these things and said that I would conceive even though I'm a virgin and, and uh, uh, it would be the coming Messiah that would be in my womb. She's not coming out of skepticism. This passage says that she's coming to Elizabeth out of belief, taking a step of belief. I think even uh, Elizabeth is recognizing the courage it took for Mary to believe what the, God, what the angel had told her to actually be true and to wore off the voices in her head to have uh, fear and doubt, right? There's a lot of things that we could look back and a lot of reasons why it would make sense for Mary, even though she was told by angel, to have some level of fear and doubt in her mind. Like, am I just seeing things? Like, is this actually happening, right? Why me? I'm not that great. Maybe after all, I'm just not sure why I would be the one chosen to bring the Messiah. And then the fear of like, what are other people going to think? You know, I'm a virgin, like, that's not going to go well. Like, they're going to see that I'm pregnant. Are they going to have all these thoughts about me? And, and you can see how skepticism in her heart could have easily kept her um, from acting out in belief instead. That fear and doubt could have kept her away from doing the things that, Lord, that the Lord had called her to do. Instead, she's coming to Elizabeth, her relative, in belief, it says, because she believed what the angels told her, and she's acting out in belief. And because she's acting out of that belief, uh, certainly joy is spreading to Elizabeth and John, right? We see that in the text. So I can spread joy when, our first one here, my beliefs outweigh my skepticism. 
when my beliefs outweigh my skepticism. Now, I think the wording right here is very important, okay? It's not that I don't ever have skepticism. It's not that I don't ever have fear or doubt about what God is calling me to do. At times in my life, I can see where you can put whatever percentage on it, where um, maybe I have 60% skepticism, fear and doubt about what God's called me to do, and maybe 40% belief. And I really want to act out on my belief, but because I'm, my skepticism is outweighing my belief, then I fa- fail to act, right? And it paralyzes me. But at some point, right, hopefully that scale tips where it's maybe even if it's just 51% belief and 49% skeptical, then I'm going to act out in my belief instead. So it's not even wrong to that sometimes I doubt or question. I just know I need to have more belief and faith than skepticism in my heart. And when I do that, I know that will bring me joy because I'm following what God has called me to do, right? And it will bring others joy that I come to. Let me uh, illustrate this for you. So I'm going to have a volunteer come on stage here. Let me grab these chairs. Can have a little fun in the message here today, right? Already slaughtered Santa Claus, and why not do a little bit more here? All right. I like Santa Claus, by the way, so nothing personal there. So, Josiah, do you mind if you come forward? So, Josiah, I've known Josiah how many years? Like 14, 15 years or something like that. So you're just the easy target to call up to come up here and stuff like that. And I'm going to have you stand in this chair here and kind of face that way, that wall. So, yep, go ahead and stand up there. And uh, so I'm going to give you some instructions, Josiah. So what I want you to do is to, um, I guess I'm kind of like the angel in the passage, right? Like I'm going to call you to do something, and then I want you to act out in belief to do it, right? So I want you just to simply take one step to the next chair, in belief. See, that was pretty, that wasn't so hard, right? So let's make it a little bit more interesting though, all right? Because doesn't it, the Word of God talk about like having faith in the things um, unseen versus the faith in the things seen, right? It's easy to, for us to have belief in the things seen. You could see the chair in front of you. But now we're going to do this. And Josiah, I'm going to ask you, um, now that you can't see, right, or Hopefully you can't see too much, at least. Um, I was going to ask you to take another step, and I'm going to ask you, um, hey, you know, just trust me, Josiah. I'm going to put a chair in front of you, and I know you can't see it, but I'm going to ask you just to, out of belief to take a step forward and do that, right? So you're going to start doing that? Sure. All right, well, wait, wait, wait one second, okay? Before you do that, um, I want you to think about this for a little bit, all right? Because I want you to think about, like, what if, though, right, Chris doesn't really put a chair in front of me. What, what actually could happen? Aren't you your personal trainer, right? Yep. So what if you there is no chair in front of you and you accidentally um, fall and you sprain your ankle or something? That would affect your job even, right? That's a pretty big deal. So what if there is no chair in front of you? And uh, or you know what if uh, there is a chair in front of you, but you know your former youth pastor is having some fun with you and he decides to um, put a chair full of whipped cream in front of you. <laughs> and there's a chair there and, and then all of a sudden you take a step and you slip, right? And you still get hurt and then everyone's laughing at you. That would be really embarrassing too, right? Or what if it, there is no chair in front of you and maybe I'm just like putting a tub of water in front of you and just like, you know, like, oh man. Like, uh, like there could just be water there, and you're stepping in a pool of water, and you're going to get all soaked, and once again, it's going to be kind of embarrassing. And, and uh, so I want to ask you again, now that you have some time to think about it, right, um, is this really what you want to do? So I'm going to ask you to take a, 
a step and trust that there's a chair there. Oh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> I wouldn't say it was the most confident step, but <laughs> you didn't do it. You can have a seat. Let you go there. Yeah, perfect. You can see even in Josiah's step, and he really, I could tr tell, he really wanted to believe me, right, that there was a chair there, but it was kind of the hesitant step, right? So there was some skepticism, some doubt, like, is this actually going to happen? Is this actually going to work or not, right? I don't think God calls us to never have a doubt or fear in our mind, right? He just asks us to act out on the things that we know to be true and trust him for the results, right? So I can spread joy, and just like Josiah stepped on a belief, and then you're all of you are like, yeah! <laughs> Why to go Josiah, right? Spreading joy can come as a result when we make that decision to act out um, on belief, and it outweighs our skepticism in our life. So let me take you to this. What is God called you to do, but you're too skeptical to actually do it? Can you think in your life, in your heart, is there something that God has asked you to do and you're like, oh man, I want to do that. I really believe that's what God's calling me to do, but I'm a little hesitant here. Do you want, I can tell you want to believe, but maybe um, fear and doubt is paralyzing your faith. Can you see maybe if there is something like that in your life that how it kind of steals your joy? Has it robbed you from being a joy-filled spirit? Joy-filled person? How about this? How, uh, you know, we always have an inaccurate view of ourselves. Um, that's this reality. We all have the tendency to think higher than we ought to think of ourselves. That's what the scripture says. How do other view, people view you? Do they view you as a person that responds by faith and belief? Or a person that just kind of sits there in skepticism, criticality, seeing only the bad and not the good in the situation? robbing of an ability to spread joy to other people in that situation for sure. So thankfully, uh, Mary, as she's coming to Elizabeth, it was really clear that she was acting upon belief, not skepticism. Let's go to uh, the next chunk of scripture, verses uh, 46 through 56, all right? Now this uh, next chunk of scripture, we're going to see that it is noted, at least in my Bible, maybe some of yours, it says these, has these subheadings, right? In mine it says, it is Mary's song of praise. Now this could be easily um, reworded as Mary's song of joy, even, right? This is a, re a joyful response, a praiseful response. You'll see that Mary does not take the credit of the words of affirmation, which she can easily have done, right? Like, oh, from that last verse, right? Yeah. That's pretty amazing that I acted out in a belief like I did. Good point, right? Instead, um, she is glad to ascribe credit to the Lord for the, what the Lord has called her to do and her ability to even act upon what the Lord has called her to do. Here, Mary pulls out ex expressions of joy for what God has done through a song of praise. And as we read it, all right, just kind of note, like, you can see where Mary was like, so saturated in the word of God, right? You're going to see, um, if you took some time to dissect it, you could see like she's quoting like the Old Testament prophets. She's using verbiage from the Old Testament law. She's taking pieces of the Psalms, right? And she even includes little pieces of Hannah's prayer in her praise to God, right? Go figure, like a joyful person, a spirit-led person is like saturated in the word of God, right? That's her response to this. So let's, uh, 
Let's read it here, and it says this in verse 46. It says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. Here the, the word uh, magnifies the Lord, my soul. My soul means this inner being, means that my heart is responding in joy because of what the Lord has done. So I can spread joy when, number two, my heart gives credit to God. My heart gives credit to God. Look how Mary gives credit to God. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in my Savior, for he has looked on the humble state of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Now it's interesting, you know, in verses 46 through 50, really, um, Mary is just saying, like, I have fallen into the favor of the Lord. The Lord is, is acting favorable, and she recognizes it, and she's ascribing credit to the Lord for those things. To be in the favor means that she's demonstrating a delight in the Lord, and the Lord is delighting in her. Favor of God can be described as tangible evidence that a person has been approved by the Lord. All right? You've been uh, around somebody that you're like, man, this person just seems like, it's not that they never go through a hard time, it's just really clear that the favor of the Lord is upon them. And that's really speaking to their own walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Just think of it this way, when we favor somebody, we want to be with him or her. My wife, Crystal, I, I favored her, so that's why I wanted to marry her, right? And we delighted, chose to delight in each other. Uh, we could connect in ways that maybe other people couldn't, we can connect with. We usually uh, favor people who also favor us. And in the same way, God shows favor to the ones who, who delight in him, who connect with him, who give him honor. And Mary was just that person. It was clear um, she was walking in the favor of the Lord. And it, it was clear that that was a reflection of her own walk with Jesus Christ. It was a mutual, mutually delightful relationship between her and the Lord. Then we transition to verses 51 through 55 where uh, Mary's talking at first about the favor of the Lord being, being upon her. Now she's saying the favor of the Lord is now being upon his people, the Jews, the nation of Israel. Verses 51 through 55 says, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud with their thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from the thrones, right? All these people that were against the Jews, right? He, he brings them down and he exalts the humble estate, which is Israel. He, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, his offspring, uh, forever. Mary was aware uh, that the child inside her womb um, was going to be the fulfillment of the promises given to the people of Israel. When God is working in and through you, do you sometimes, though, uh, have the tendency to take the credit? Our point here is I can spread joy when my heart gives credit to God and not to myself, right? It's easy for me to take credit for things. And Mary could have easily been like, yeah, I am. But look at how great I am. And she doesn't do that. She said, my heart, my soul instead magnifies the Lord instead. I'm not going to take the credit for things that I shouldn't take the credit for. What does that say about my heart when I uh, ascribe credit to myself opposed to the Lord? 
I think of uh, even just being in the ministry, it can be a slippery slope when people are affirming you and encouraging you, right? And um, we all, we are commanded to be, like, encourage one another. So we should encourage one another, and we should continue that, and we need, probably need to do that more. That's something I need to grow in, is encouraging one another. But I also need to know that I need, my heart needs to be in the right spot to receive that encouragement, that I'm quick to ascribe that encouragement to the work of Jesus Christ in me, not because of me. Mary, you did a great job here of just uh, acknowledging that the work of Christ um, was in her heart, the work of the Spirit was in her heart, and it wasn't because of her, it was because of the Lord. Being around people that want to take credit for everything is not a person I want to be around and probably not a person that you want to be around. The person that ascribes credit to the Lord, is that's contagious. Like, you're telling me what God's doing? That's awesome that he's doing that in your small group. That's awesome he's doing that at your work, in your neighborhood, in your life, right? That's spreading joy when all the credit goes to the Lord instead. Verse uh, 56 is this, says, Then Mary remained uh, with her about three months, and she returned home. Apparently she had a longer Christmas vacation than I do, but she was there a good three months. And then she returned home right when the birth of John was happening. Verse 57, it says, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced. There's our word again, joy, right? Or rejoice with her. So John was born. It says they all rejoiced. Now this is interesting. If you turn back uh, one page, this is still in Luke chapter 1, right? Verses 13 and 14 kind of give reference to this, that the response at the birth of John would be much joy. It says verse 13 and 14, it says, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your time or for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you shall be called his name John. And you will have what? Joy, there's a word again, and gladness. And many will what? Rejoice, there's a word again, at his birth. And certainly that's what happened. We see that from the text. And then following uh, verses 15 through the end of that paragraph there, it kind of reminds us of what the purpose of the birth of John was all about, right? So, so it says, for he... That is, John will uh, be a great, be, will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he'll be what filled with the Holy Spirit. There's the Holy Spirit, right, bringing about this joy and gladness, even from his mother's womb. We saw that in the text, right? And he will turn many of the children of Israel uh, to the Lord their God, and he will go before them in the spirit of power of Elijah and turn their hearts of their fathers to their children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared to be the forerunner. So John had a very clean or clear mission, right? And that was part of the joy, was that there was a clear mission and that he was being called to do a certain task. Then we get to verses 30, 59 through 63, and uh, let me read these. These are probably some of my favorite verses in the passage. It says, on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. You know, we just did a parent-child uh, commitment, dedication. I'm glad I'm just handing out Bibles on that Sunday. I'll just leave it at that. And uh, they would um, have called him Zachariah after his father, because that was like the traditional thing to do. But his mother answered, said, answered and said, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is, call, is called by that name. And they said, and they made signs to his father, inquiring that 
they wanted him to be what he, what he wanted him to call him. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote his name is John. And they all wondered at this, right? So what's happening here? So the baby's born and there are all the relatives, all the family, all the friends are there. And it's time to name the baby, right? And I've had some kids and maybe you can relate to this if you had a kid. Like everyone wants to have a, a say in what you name your kid, right? It's like, no, I'm like... Like, this kid was just ripped from the loins of my wife, right? <laughs> like, I think we should have the say in what we should name our kid. But anyway, everyone thinks that they should have opinion and give your opinion. That's what's happening here. They're like, you should name it Zachariah, right? Like, why won't you do that? You should take the credit. Like, you guys were old and now you had this kid and, like, you should do a great family name. It's pretty traditional to do that. And, and Mary, or, uh, Elizabeth was like, no, we're going to call him John, right? Like, just like the angel had said earlier. So the people are not gonna be, aren't satisfied with that response. So then they turn to uh, the husband, right? Zachariah is like, well, what do you think? Like, are you sure you want to do this? Like, call him John. You should call him after you, yourself, right? And at this time, if you remember from chapter one, uh, Zachariah is still mute. God took away his voice, right? So he's been unable to speak for nine months, right? Or whatever long it was, right? It was a long time. So he's been unable to speak. God took that away from him. So they're like, it says in the passage, doing signs to him, right? Like, so they're assuming because he can't talk that he must be deaf too. So they're kind of like doing signs like, what do you want to call like the kid and all this stuff? And, and then he, he wants a tablet. And um, I did some Greek study on the word tablet and uh, just see what the word meant. And I it was really unclear if it was like a Samsung Galaxy or Android that he wrote or Microsoft Pro. You know, there's just some of those things you just don't know until we get to heaven someday. But anyway, whatever the tablet was, he wrote on it and he said he should be called John, right? Just once again. And it was like all the people were like amazed and wondering like, what is going on here, right? Why would you not? I think the temptation there for the people is like, why won't you take credit for this? Like, this was a miracle. You should take credit for this. You should um, have your name, make a name for yourself with this kid. And they were just so, I said, the people there were so in wonder of what was happening. Then it said in verse 46, and immediately his mouth, that Zechariah was open and his tongue was loose, and he spoke blessings to God. Immediately it said, you know, after he wrote, his name shall be uh, called John. Maybe uh, God released him to speak again because of his obedience. That could be the case. I think it was something much more than that. I think um, God was just trying to show again to all the people in the room um, that he was at work here right in front of them, right? First of all, with the conception. uh, And then uh, the name, right? No, there's something else going on here. We're going to call him John. And then uh, this guy who hasn't been able to speak forever all of a sudden can speak. Everything's pointing to, like, something's up with this situation. There's something special set apart with this kid. God is at work. It says that he gave a blessing. And, man, I was just thinking, like, man, if, if my voice was taken away for however many months, like, a long time, um, I, I don't think the first words of my mouth would have been a blessing to God. It would probably have been like, what in the world was that all about, Lord, right? And probably use my Christian swear words. And, but he, he's like blessing the Lord with his first words from his mouth, right? It's coming out. Verse 65, it says, And fear became on all the neighbors. And the word there, fear, I think is really referring to the awe came upon all the neighbors. And all these things were talked about through the hill country of Judea. Like, 
that's pretty typical of a small town, right? Like when something big happens, like gossip rumors is kind of like spread and uh, everyone talks about everyone's business, right? Uh, but this was a good thing that they're like, well, we're wondering what's going up with this kid. And it's just spreading out upon the whole countryside, verse 66, and all who here laid up their hearts saying, what then will this child be? They knew that there was something special for this child, John, for the hand of the Lord was with them. All recognized that God was at work and there was something special um, about this kid, John. Man, how did we go from joy spreading just from verse 58, just a couple of people, to now the whole hillside is having this joy in, in verse 65 and throughout, right? So I can spread joy when, number three, my reputation comes second. When my reputation comes second. Elizabeth and Zechariah, I think, intentionally purposed in their heart from the day they heard the news that they would have a son and that their son would do great things for the Lord, that they would uh, no longer make it about their own family name, but make it about the name of Jesus Christ, that it wouldn't be about their plans for their kids, but it would be about the plans that God had for this kid, that they would not prop up um, themselves, but they would prop up the Messiah that was to come, and John as the forerunner. When we choose to live for somebody else, that is Christ, other than we're ourselves, that is so countercultural. It is so uh, different that it creates this curiosity, like we see in the text. They're all we're wondering, like when you choose to not live for yourself, but live for something else, a greater person, a greater purpose in life. It spreads about this. Curiosity, and actually, us also in doing so spreads about joy. Are you living a life in a countercultural way that draws attention not to you, but ultimately God? Are you living a life that is not about yourself, but putting yourself first, your own reputation? But are you living in a life that is more concerned about the reputation of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do people, when people see you, do they say, there's something different here? It seems like the hand of the Lord. There's something at work here in this person. There's something strange going on. They seem more consumed about God and the Lord than they do themselves. How is your life different because of what God clearly has called you to do? Are you using it as a megaphone to speak about God instead of yourself? And that will truly spread joy. Let's keep on going in our text here. Our last point comes, starting in verse 67, about spreading joy here. It says, And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Spirit. There we got the Spirit filling again, so we know there's some good, joyful, Spirit-led fruit coming in about what he's to say. He's prophesied. It says he's going to prophesy. And as we read this portion of Scripture, I want you to look at how much he's talking about, like he's saying gospel, salvation-like terminology, all right? with these words that he now has back, right? And he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. You see the word redeemed there? That's a very gospel, salvation-like word, right? He's bought back his people. And he has raised up the horn of salvation for in the house of his servant David. We knew from the Old Testament that he'd bring about the Messiah through David, right? Uh, his family, and he's the horn of salvation. Salvation is going to come, that people may be saved. And he's, verse 70, as he spoke by mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we shall be saved, right? Saved from our enemies, whether physical or spiritual, and from 
the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy. That's another gospel-like word, right? Promise to your fathers to be remembered in his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our fathers, Abraham, to grant us that we that we being delivered, there's another gospel-like word, to be delivered from, right? The hand of the enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness. There's some more gospel-like conversation, righteousness, right? That we be given the righteousness. That happens to us when we accept Jesus Christ our Savior. He uh, declares us righteous and robes us in his righteousness. Before him all the days, and you, and you, child, right? John will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord and prepare his way to give knowledge. Now, the last few verses here is all about the, like the salvation message, right? To give knowledge of salvation to the people and forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from the high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide their feet into the way of peace. It's interesting here, Zechariah, when he had, think about the time he had coming into this, when he had uh, no words to say because he couldn't talk. I think he had plenty of time to think about and dream about what he would say if he got his voice back. Do you think he thought, I'm going to maximize my voice for God moving forward? I wonder if he ever thought, like, in that time of silence, is like, uh, you know, maybe I wasted some words in this life. And for me, man, how often do I take for granted having a voice, right? I don't even think about like, oh, having a voice is kind of a privilege. I just assume like everyone has a voice, right? Here God took, took away his voice for an extended amount of time. Makes me think of like, man, am I using the words that I say, right, to point others to the gospel of Jesus Christ? I don't know how long I'll have a voice. I don't want to take it for granted. I don't want to waste my days and what I say for fruitless things, things that maybe tear down or hurt other people. I want to use my voice to point people to the gospel, that they may have the same joy that I have. So as Zacharias sat in months of silence, I think he had some time to simmer on the coming Messiah, right? And it, it brewed a gigantic desire in his heart to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I could spread the gospel when, number four, my desire is to have gospel conversations. Whether you're talking to believers or somebody who doesn't know Christ at all, uh, I believe the gospel conversations can and will spread joy. I'll give you an illustration of this even uh, this week is um, to have this desire to share gospel conversations. Uh, Sam uh, Odeker was in the office this week and um, he does that. He works a full-time job as a school teacher, which is hard enough <laughs> and long enough days, but he comes in once or twice a week after school and just does some admin kind of like volunteer work. You know, a lot of people do that, and we're so grateful for that. And he comes in, and I was just having a conversation and interacting with him uh, this week, and he was kind of beaming. He had a little bit more pep in his step. He always has a pep in his step, but it was a little bit more uh, noticeable this week. And uh, so I was just asking him about it today. He's like, you know, yeah, today I had an opportunity to share the gospel with a student. And I'm like, that's awesome. And then he kind of humbly admitted, like in the past, he, you know, being a teacher at a public school, like, he, like I've been, I can feel the Holy Spirit prick my heart sometimes to share 
about Christ, but like I'm not supposed to share about Christ, so I don't do that. And I'm not throwing Sam on the bus because I'm like, I can relate to that, right? I can relate to times, numerous times where I've held the Holy Spirit is like, now's the time to talk to this person about the gospel. And then for whatever reason, these fears and doubts come in and then I don't, right? I can relate to that story totally. Um, and then he's like, you know, this time, I decided not to be, act in skepticism, right? I, I decided to act out in what God was calling me to do, and I, I share the gospel with this, this girl. And her, her reaction was different than normal, right? And uh, she could tell that, he could tell that she was thinking and meditating. And, and so, you know, he's coming into office, and I can tell he's spirit-filled. I can just be, like, joy is just oozing out of him, right? And I trust, like, that's obviously fruit of his relationship with Jesus Christ being spirit-led, and then it's impacting those people around him. So when was the last time you engaged in a gospel conversation? Was it this weekend, or even this week, or even this month? I'm not asking you to do more out of obedience, even though um, we could take that angle for sure. I'm asking you more about your heart, your inner being, right? Do you even desire to have gospel conversations. There's times in my life I can say yes to that, and there's times in my life, like if I'm asked that question, I would have to actually say no. I want to, but I'm not mindful of it, at least. If yes, if you can answer, yeah, I desire to have gospel conversation, does it actually come out then in your life? If no, what does that say about my heart, my relationship with Jesus Christ? Why? I'm asking myself, why am I not so excited? Why have I lost my passion to have these gospel conversations? Is there something maybe distracting me? Maybe I've replaced that eagerness to talk to somebody about something else over talking to them about the gospel. Think about, you know, what is your plan this Christmas season, especially as you have more time uh, maybe on your hands, some extra time off of work, and some more opportunities to engage uh, gospel conversations with friends and family. Are you prepared? Are you ready to do these things? I think of, you know, just chapter 2, verse 10, um, which we'll get to in a future message, but it says, The angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I will bring you good news of great joy for all the people. Like, am I going into that with that in mind, that I can be the one who proclaims great news of good joy to all the people that I come in contact with? So let's think about, as we close this uh, message, uh, think about how we can spread joy. I can spread joy when my beliefs outweigh my skepticism. I can spread joy when my heart gives credit to God. I can spread joy when my reputation comes second. I can spread joy when my desire is to have gospel conversations in my heart. Let me pray. Uh, dear Lord, we just uh, thank you that you met with us again uh, this morning. Thank you for the word, how it's impactful, Lord, that your spirit uses it to guide us, Lord. And... Uh, Lord, I just pray that we'd be people that are walking in the Spirit, that the Spirit is so alive in us that we do have this inner joy, Lord, that we don't try to manufacture joy on its own, on our own ability or on account, that we would uh, be a people that would uh, be so in tune to your Spirit, Lord, that it would just be a fruit that we can't help but to act in belief, Lord, that we can't 
help to but engage others in these gospel conversations, Lord, that we can't help to put your name before our own name and give you the credit for all things, Lord. We just pray these things in all your son's name. Amen.